Uh, give us a, a picture, dear Jesus, uh, something that we can hold on to for our own lives uh, that comes from this beautiful passage about the vine and the branches. Help us to understand it in its greatness and in its fullness, and help us to find ourselves forever attached to the vine. In Jesus' name, amen. Astronaut Buzz Aldrin recently offered a rather moving testimony related to his space exploration, uh, one that occurred in the moon, the Sea of Tranquility. He's only spoken of this uh, in recent years. He writes, In the radio blackout of space, I opened plastic packages which contained bread and wine. I poured the wine into the chalice our church had given me, In the one-sixth gravity of the moon, the wine slowly curled up the side of the cup. When I read the scripture, I am the vine, you are the branches, whosoever abides in me will bring forth much fruit, and apart from me you can do nothing, I had originally intended to read it back to earth. But at the last minute, they requested that I do not do this. NASA was then embroiled in a legal battle with a woman named Madeline Murray O'Hare, the celebrated opponent of public religion, over the Apollo 8 crew who had read from Genesis while orbiting the moon at Christmas. I agreed reluctantly. I ate the tiny host, swallowed the wine, the very first liquid ever poured on the moon, and the very first food eaten there were the elements of communion. He was connected to the vine, even there. And I want to speak tonight about how, to, how thriving happens within a spiritual life. Not just survival, where we, we barely have any breath left, and we're cynical, and we're, and we're alive, and we pray once a month, and you know, we're okay. But how does the spiritual life have dynamism, power, energy, flow? To that end, I want to discuss tonight, uh, in this vast passage, two things. One is the vine, and also what it means to abide in the vine. As for the vine, Jesus said, I am the true vine. It's interesting that Jesus, in his last I am saying, offers us this agricultural image that describes a relationship between a great provider and those to whom provision is being given in order that they might in turn become providers as well. But you have a main provider, a vine, that brings to the branches water and nutrition. Right? So it's really the source. And you also have people that grow and thrive because of their connection and only because of their connection to that source. Now, the image, as you may know, it doesn't have its origins with Jesus at all. He's just, uh, he was always good at this. You know, creative people are just good thieves. And, um, and, but he was using material from the Old Testament very deliberately. Because in the Old Testament, especially in Isaiah, but in other places too, Israel, the nation of Israel, is portrayed as a vine. A vine that was intended, uh, that was grown for sweet grapes, but it didn't produce them. It produced Uh, wild, bitter grapes. And this is why Jesus is saying, not only I am the vine, he's saying I am the true vine. The Greek is it's genuine. I'm the genuine vine. Meaning that everything that came before me 
while it was good in terms of giving you a picture of what was to come, a type, a shadow, something that was uh, needing a proper fulfillment, the fulfillment is actually here. That this, this life-giving place, this personality of great sustenance that you have longed for is now finally present. God's true Israelite has finally arrived. And he's sending this message to the disciples who are in complete emotional disarray because he told them that he's going to be leaving them at any moment. And yet, he's promising them, even though I'm leaving you, even though things are going to change between us to some degree, I'm going to still function as a source of great provision for you. That will not end. You're still going to have me in some very, very real way. I'm the vine for you. I'm the provider for you. I'm the reliable one on whom you can count to give you a life that is rich toward God. I, I say this at the beginning because it's important to understand what the vine is and what the vine isn't. What is the thing that gives us the spiritual sustenance we need? And what are the other things that just never, ever will or can't? For me, it's this funny. Some of you might think this is funny coming from me, but I'm really a gimmick guy. I like gimmicks because they make my life better, simpler. They don't make it better, but they make it simpler. I just want a plan. You know, I just want somebody to give me a book. And I, I read all these books on leadership, you know. Here's the problem with books on leadership. It's not that no wisdom can be gleaned. A lot of wisdom can be gleaned. But the problem is that they change their approach like every three years on what a good leader is supposed to be. Right now, you may not know this, but what's in vogue is empathetic leadership. Now, I like that because that dovetails with my personality. So I'm like, this is really, this is really the end. You know, this is the iron cage of the future. They finally discovered something that can't be surpassed in its greatness. But it won't last, you know, because what's going to replace it is like dictatorial leadership. You know, that's going to come back. Uh, Eric in the early service raised his hand at that point. <laughs> you know, that appeals to him. I'm kidding. It doesn't. Um, uh, but, but, you know, gimmicks are not the vine. They'll last you for a little while. But you need something for the long haul. I need something for the long haul. You know, I also want to say, and this is an important point, that the vine is not the church. The church and Jesus, while um, inextricably connected, the mystical union between the body and its head, they're, they're certainly connected, but they're not the same. You don't trust in the church for your salvation. Because the church, a composition of fallen broken, redeemed, and uh, being sanctified people, they'll hurt you, and they can't actually give you uh, the, um, the elixir of life. They can point to it, they can tell you about it, but Jesus and the church are actually different. This is C.S. Lewis's famous um, a, a chiding of uh, Cardinal Newman. He said, the problem with you is that you replaced God with church. You replaced a real spiritual essence with, with sort of formative religion. Um, parenthetically, uh, I always worry about people, I know I say this too much, but I always worry about people who like liturgy a little too much. Here's the thing. I'm an Anglican. I like liturgy a lot. I do. But I love Jesus more, and liturgy is helpful because it points me to Jesus. Liturgy, when it's an end in and of itself, is an idol that ought to be destroyed. But if it's something instead that points you to, toward and leads you to Jesus Christ, well, that's a different, that's a different ballgame. But it's not really about that. Like the, the church isn't the vine. It can help you to get to the vine, but it's not the vine. Jesus is the vine. 
Also, the vine is not your friends. Now, I know your friends are wonderful. I mean, I know. But aren't half your friends crazy? Don't they give you, like, terrible advice? Like much because, because they hear your situation, it makes them nervous, and they react from their own hurt, and then they give you a solution that doesn't fit your problem. No, you don't have friends. I have, no, I, okay. None of us have friends like that, but you know people that do. And, um, and so I, I find that that's what I do in a crisis. What do I do? Do I go to Jesus first? No, I don't. I go to another vine. I go to another vine. I go to friends who will listen to me, nod the whole time, and say everything that you're saying is right, and everybody else in the world is dumb. Like, everybody who's hurting you is wrong, and you're correct. But that isn't really what I need. I need the real vine. And my friends are helpful, they can point me to good things, but they're not the vine. Lastly, the vine is not you. Your own abilities, your own power, your own insights, your own intelligence, you're not the vine. You know, the Christianity is always harrowing because it, 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 it comes to us with a black flag and it says, you don't have the resources you require. You don't. And if you think you do, you're only fooling yourself, lying to yourself, and you will always be shortchanged in thinking that you yourself are the vine, the provider, the sustainer. Um, you know, one of our problems is that so often when faced with anxiety, perplexity, fear, anger, we trust the wrong vine, the wrong source of, of provision. And, and often it gives us a little bit of help, but not long-lasting help. And so uh, maybe this has been your experience, but I think, friends, this is why we've got so much hell in our lives, because we're trusting the wrong source to give us a provision that it just can't give. And so we have to go to the real vine, the one who said, I am the true or genuine vine. No one else could ever say that, but Jesus could, uh, because he is providing something that no other source provides. So we have the vine, the genuine vine. But then we have this idea, Jesus wants us as branches not to be separate from the life that he gives, because if we're separate from what he's offering, we end up withering away, we dry out, and we're just thrown away. Uh, He says that what you need to do if you want to have a life that is abundant for God, that produces much fruit, an image picked up by both um, Jesus in the Synoptic Gospels and later in St. Paul, fruit of the Spirit, so forth, if you want a life that is rich toward God, abundant, Uh, You have to abide. That's what you have to do. If you're interested in having a thriving life, you have to abide or rest, intimately connected with the vine. Now, I find that concept both beautiful and in some ways elusive. What does that mean? What does that mean? I want to talk about it, at least get at some of the truths here in a few ways. I think it has three core aspects, though there are others, I'm sure. Um, the, The three core aspects what it means to abide in the vine are proximity, position, and experience. Get into that. Okay, so proximity. Abiding means that you are close to and attached to the source. He says in verse 4, abide in me and I in you. There's this sense in which we are grafted into Christ, Christ is grafted into us, and you can no longer separate them. This used to be said in good marriage vows, you know, what God has joined together, let no one separate because you can't. You know, this is what I'm learning in life. I used to think that if I just had a good understanding of Christianity, everything in my life would be better. You know what I mean? Like you have the right ideas. And if you have a lot of them, and they're all in the right order, everything is better. Eh. Abiding suggests that there's a relational element in Christianity that we actually are having contact, you know. 
Like we're having contact. The goal is to have this relationship with God with, which is intimate and has close proximity. This is where we get the doctrine of union in the New Testament. This idea that we are united in Christ. That Christ, after his death and resurrection, has what we could call a suprapersonality, the cosmic Christ. He's not now limited to one time, one place, and one language. He is now just as present to you in Brazil as he is in Kansas, because he is everywhere. And so when we react to, um, to the gospel, we're in connection. We're in close proximity to the Christ who lived a long time ago and is now alive forevermore and right next to you. This union idea is portrayed variously in Scripture. You know, Jesus Christ as foundation and us as the building on top of it. Uh, Jesus as the head and us as the body. Jesus as the husband, us as the wife. Jesus as the vine and us as the branches. It's this idea that there's this greater source that we are attached to that we derive life from. Mystical union, but it only works for us as we're together with him in this close relationship. The image that I got when I was thinking about this sermon is the uh, rather untended orchard in our backyard growing up. It was wonderful. They, we had apples and pears, and, uh, and we had uh, plums and uh, grapes. Now, most of the fruit couldn't be eaten because we didn't take care of it, but it was always good for fights. You know, you could really throw this stuff at a sibling, and it, it worked out very well most of the time. Um, but we had this lovely uh, um, grapevine that was growing on some trellises, uh, Concord grapes. And what I noticed as a child is that it was hard to tell what was the vine and what, was, what were the branches because they were so wrapped up in each other that you, you couldn't really see where the original vine was and where the branches were. And that's the idea, that branches stay close to the vine, derive their life uh, from the vine. And so uh, abiding means that we have close proximity, not only in understanding, though that's a part of it, but also there's a soulish quality to it, of real relational love and connection to the source. This union also involves positional abiding. Positional abiding. Um, we are, in other words, positioned or declared by God to be an abider by grace. This is what he says in verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. This is, for, this is the key part, verse 3. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Already you are clean. You're appropriation into the vine, your pruning, and your preparedness for bearing much fruit is already done. Already this has happened to you. And what's more, it's connected because of the word I spoke to you. The word from outside the self that comes to the person and has uh, regarded them as part of this uh, vine, part of the family of Christ, part of uh, the community of belonging. This theology, by the way, is all over the Apostle Paul. Uh, he really thinks that the Christian life is always us being formed after we've already been pardoned. It isn't that we get better and then God finally says, okay, enough's enough, you've worked hard enough, you're in. It's he declares you to be in, and that's how you grow. He says this all over the place. You know, In, in Colossians 3, you have died, and your life is hid with Christ and God. He just declares it. God declares you're already dead, you're risen in Christ. And now you get to live into that truth for the rest of your life. He says this other places. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. It's declared over you. It's just true. 
This is why baptism is such a powerful sacrament. You don't get baptized after you've arrived, you know, after you've sorted out all your sordid aspects. You're baptized before all that. And then you live into a baptismal identity for the rest of your life. So he says to them, you've, you've already been clean. You're already clean. You're already in. And you're now prepared to even bear more fruit. Uh, there's a geographic example that I use when I talk about this. I once uh, crossed uh, via bus from uh, Austria into Italy. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you know the difference uh, between southern Austrian and northern Italian architecture? There isn't any. It looks exactly the same. But the further you move into Italy, the more Italian everything looks. Same thing goes with, 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 with being a Christian. You cross over the boundary. As soon as we crossed over the Italian boundary, I was an abider in Italy. Same thing can be said of you. God has grafted you in, to use Paul's language, into the vine. You're part of this thing now. So abiding is, is first a positional thing. But also, abiding is experiential. It's something that happens in us. Something that, dare I say this, we can feel. What does it mean to experience this abiding? It's a little hard to grasp, but I think there are three ways in this text which that abiding is actualized, where it manifests itself, how we know it's happening. Um, verse 7, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And then verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his. Okay, so he says, if my words abide in you, then he says, abide in my love, and then he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So let me say that, um, that abiding in its experiential form, how we live into that which we've already been grafted into, involves first the word. He says that his word will abide in us. What does that mean? Bare bones meaning, meaning of course, is that Jesus' own words, the words that he used to describe how life is supposed to be, the words that he used to describe himself, the words that he used to describe what his purpose was in the world, all of those things form the Christ with whom we have contact and connection. Why is this important? Because sometimes I hear people say things that are well-intentioned, but, but I think in some ways could be harmful. They'll say, well, I was in prayer, and Jesus told me thus and such. Friends, I have no doubt about the close proximity to the Lord when we call on him in prayer. But sometimes when people say that, they're actually claiming that Jesus is saying things that contradicts what Jesus has already said. And that's when it gets weird. Calvin said this about the Christ of experience and the necessity of that Christ being tethered to the word. He said, without the Gospels, we have a naked Christ, and we dress him up as we will. But he's saying that's not the way to go. That the experience of a, of a, a Christ consciousness, if you will, has to be tethered to the historic Jesus and the word about him. His word abides in us. That's one of the ways in which this, um, this experiential aspect of abiding occurs. But also, 
love. He says, abide in my love. This is so important, you know, because the love of Jesus is always the ground of being and of abiding. We love because he first loved us. I mean, you know the language. If you don't know that God loves you, right, I mean you, not just Mother Teresa, not just Billy Graham, not rather intense Francis Chan, uh, but you, like you, then you will hear Christianity only as a word of condemnation over your life. It's just another sort of Damocles hanging over you because you can't actually achieve what it says you should. But if you understand that at the heart of this religion is the beating heart of Christ, uh, who has met you in your sin, has known you through and through, and who has forgiven all of it, and loves you in that place. Um, well, if you know that, then anything that comes, anything additional that comes, can be a delight to you. And so we abide in that kind of love. Uh, lastly, he says, um, he talks about obedience. He says that if you keep my, my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. One of the ways that abiding in Christ or the love of Christ becomes more experientially real is when we yield to a different way. You know, in some religions, obedience can be a very harsh thing because you're being told to obey certain principles that are destructive. Here's the great thing about Jesus and obeying Jesus. He's not lying to you. Jesus is a true human living out a true human life. And yielding to that is only good for us. And it's the way to really experience, in a sense, the relational love of God. Not just the external love, I justify you in your sin, but the experiential and relational love of God. This does happen through obedience, and here's why. Because there needs to be an integration. There never will be a perfect one this side of the Jordan, but um, an integration between our profession and our praxis. Without that, it wouldn't make any sense. I mean, think about a friendship or a marriage uh, in which those two things are separated, your profession of love and your practice of hate. How credible would it be, or how relationally satisfying would the experience be if somebody told you, I love you, I just think you're wonderful. I, I wrote you a poem, I stole half of it from Shelley, but it's really good, and I think of you all the time. And, and then they, um, they manipulate you, and they, they say terrible things to you, and they always interrupt you when you're talking. They're very embarrassed by you, truth be told, much of the time. And then later in life, they have eyes for somebody else. How relationally connected would you, would you feel? How much love would you experience in that place? Uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing, you know. I don't think we can have a loftier goal than Christ-likeness. Really, it's so much more uh, impressive and important than, than making money, or getting a nicer house, or like, or just hooking up, or or going to a lot of raves if that's your thing. Glow sticks, you know, I don't know, maybe, or or listening to the right music, or being considered culturally relevant, whatever. It's far better instead to say there's actually a mold and a model out there of what a true humanity looks like, and it might be the way to have a good time. Like it might be the way to live into my truest self. And this is why. When we line up with God, there's a sense of relational connection that is beautiful, fruitful, life-giving, and gives us a sense of what it means to abide in the vine. Uh, it doesn't mean, of course, that we're justified by what we do, but what it does mean is that we have a greater sense of, and awareness of God's presence and activity in our lives when we say, I yield, 
over to you. Uh, I learned this, as some of you know, in Ireland. I won't repeat the whole story, but, uh, but most of you weren't here for it, so I can say so when I was in Ireland, I, was, I, I found myself experiencing kind of an odd anxiety. I decided to go on a walk and pray and, and inquire of the Lord what this was about. Uh, why was I so troubled? Why was I worried about coming home? What was going on? And I, and I, I went to the mountain and I prayed and I asked the Lord. And this, this verse from Psalm 24 came to me like lightning. And it was, the earth is the Lord's and all that is therein. And I thought, well, that's nice, I guess. I don't know. I mean, what does that have to do with anything, right? I, I, but it kept coming back over and over again. And I thought, maybe there's something in this I need to hear. And the, the lesson was, Ethan, you're a total control freak. You just want to be like the puppet master, and you just want to m- make everything great all the time. And if you hold all the strings, which is crazy, if you are the one holding all the strings, everything will be great. I mean, what a delusion, right? But then, but, but the Lord was clearly showing me that it's all, you, you have minor responsibilities, but really, I'm holding this the earth is the Lord's and all that is therein, all of your problems, all of your situations, your house, your family, your church, everything belongs to God. What a relieving word that was, to yield to God, right? To yield that, those things to the Lord, to give up in that way, to trust him that he'll take care of it. So abiding, abiding in the vine is a learned dependence upon the vine, this great source in whom we are united, positioned, and where we experience the relational beauty of being connected to Christ. Three takeaways, then I'm done. They're one sentence each. Okay? First, we are free to give great priority to anything that connects us to the biblical Jesus. Now, the, the, uh, the core means of grace in the church, of course, are word and sacrament. And there are private means of grace of scripture reading and prayer. And anything that connects you to Jesus Christ, just do that. Because it will form your whole life and it will cause it to be more restful and more fruitful. Second, the way to conquer sin is not to muscle over it, because you can't, much of the time, especially if the sin is serious, but to fall more in love with Jesus, to feel more connected to the vine, to be connected not to your own strength, but to his strength, which is given um, by his grace. Lastly, realize, as Buzz Aldrin did, that there ain't no mountain too high, no valley too low. And that you are always, always intertwined with Jesus Christ, the forever present giver of all life. Amen.